All right, so, so Tom Petty uh, gets angry, hits a wall. You just kind of found out this ugly fact about one of your pastors, I have a temper, I hit walls too. Um, I have never broken a hand or broken an arm, but, but uh, I've done a, enough damage, right? That's in me, okay? Maybe it's not in you. Maybe I'm the only one who can be honest today, but I have done that, right? And there's something that, that I want to kind of get at in that. And I want to start off our, our conversation today by saying, Life is about stimulus and response. Stimulus and response. And, and just on a global scale, we all live in an environment where things are always happening. That's the stimulus part, the stimuli, all right? The response is basically what we do with that. Inputs come at us from all over. Uh, Tom Petty's input problem was he couldn't get the song mixed. Frustration builds, frustration builds. Anybody ever been frustrated in life? And then it just builds up and then his ultimate response is, oh, Petty sees wall, Petty hits wall, wall wins. <laughs> life is just about that. In a really, really basic sense, things come at us, we must respond. And when we respond, it says something about us. It says something about the things that are going on in our hearts, some of them not so pleasant, some of them not so bad sometimes. I get frustrated. I've gotten frustrated. I, I couldn't get re resolution with, with an issue in my mind. Uh, Eric sees wall. Eric hits wall. Wall also wins. There's a trend here. Um, so stimulus and response is just kind of the way the world works. And how we respond to any given situation, it just says something about who we are as human beings, what we are working on, what we need to work on. Now, uh, to that, I want to add this thought that uh, there are a few basic drivers of human behavior. Uh, I stumbled across this deep well of wisdom years ago. And in the well, the well just basically said this, that there are three ways that, that, that human beings um, have needs in the world, three things that drive us. And the first is simply this, all human beings have a need for affection. We have a need to be cared about and loved. And there's nothing wrong with this need, except when it gets out of whack. Uh, when we take the need for effect, affection to an unhealthy level, it can lead to all manner of, of things. Like, and so we start responding to the stimulus in our world out of an unhealthy need for affection. So maybe you're like me, and this is a problem in my life where I have a high need to be liked. And so when I sit down with a person, my instant tendency, I'm not proud of this, my instant tendency is to say, how can I make sure that you like me? rather than how can I just be honest? And sometimes this can lead to actually even more unhealthy things, like a need for affection that can be so, uh, that can be some, so pathological that it leads to unhealthy choices in terms of relationships. Not because we want to be in a relationship, but because we want to be loved so badly. Am I preaching yet? Second great driver of human behavior is this, uh, the need for material and physical security. Again, this is a good need. The need for physical security is basically like, look, I want my family to be safe. When I lay my head down at night, I want to go to sleep uh, with, the, with the belief that they're going to be safe through the night. 
I, I have a desire to have a retirement when I'm done with, with whatever work it is that God's called me to do. And I can live out my last days with some level of, of comfort, right? You take this to an unhealthy level. And it can lead to all manner of decisions about how you uh, react when maybe somebody comes to threaten that security or somebody comes to threaten that pile of money or, or something happens. When the need for, to protect this is unhealthy, you will respond to a stimulus in a certain way. Do you understand what I'm saying? The third, the third great driver of, of human behavior is the need for status. Where do I compare with other people? Am I, am I better than a lot of people? Am I worse? Am I in the middle? How am I doing? And let me tell you, like, again, this is a good thing. This is one of the things that gets me out of bed in the morning. The need to essentially make an impact on the world and to do some good and to have people think of me as like, man, Eric's doing good things in the world. But you take this to an unhealthy degree and it can lead to this pathological desire to be on top of the heap. And no matter what happens, I must protect my status. No matter what happens in the world, I can't be seen of going down a couple notches. So these drivers are all, in the, are all really good things, God-given things. But we all actually suffer from letting these things get warped. And if we don't watch how they play out in our life, you know, we'll end up responding to a stimulus in such a way that we're like, whoa, where did that come from? Well, it's because your material security is being threatened. Your need for affection was being threatened. Your desire for a good status was being threatened. And so you responded and you're like, where'd that come from? That's where it came from. So stimulus, response, great drivers of human behavior. Now, uh, I think you guys understand where I'm coming from and, and understand where we're going. But uh, as this week, as I was thinking about today, Actually, we got to thinking about a couple movies that for me just really nailed what this looks like when it gets out of hand. So the first one is almost a caricature. I watched this movie a few years ago. I love Martin Scorsese movies, but this movie was really hard to watch. It started Leonardo DiCaprio called The Wolf of Wall Street. Anybody see this movie? Oh my gosh. This movie was so rough to watch. I cannot endorse it, right? So do not go out and watch this. Like, Pastor Eric, tell you I can watch this movie. No. It's based on a true story. It's based on a guy named Jordan Balfour who was, uh, worked on Wall Street in the 90s. He, he made hundreds of millions of dollars largely by swindling people out of, um, out of their money. And on top of that, not only did he make uh, just hundreds of millions of dollars, but his lifestyle was just off the chain. Like, you know, if it was, if you could think of any stereotypical symbol of greed, he lived it. If you could think of any stereotypical uh, image of sexual excess, he did it. And he just lived his life to be on top every, every area. And that's like almost a caricature of what it looks like when you just let these needs, the basic needs that God gave us and go to just let them go to any degree. There's this great scene uh, when he starts his career on Wall Street. He's sitting down with his first boss who's played by Matthew McConaughey. And, um, and uh, it's this, this bizarro scene where they're in this really nice restaurant. McConaughey does a bump of cocaine right there at the table. And uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is still kind of innocent. And he said, man, I'm so glad to be working at your firm. 
And again, this is based on a true story. So these actually, these are events that based more or less loosely happened, right? He says, I'm so grateful to be working at your firm. I, I, I want to do such good for your clients. And McConaughey says, no, no, no. This is not about doing good for the clients. He said, this is about moving their money from their bank account into your bank account. And he's like, what? And he's like, so much so. He said, look, look you're going to get phone calls from your clients. Their stock has just like doubled or tripled. They're going to call you and they're going to want to say, I want to sell my stock and get out. He says, no, no. When that happens, you know what you do? You tell them to just buy more stock. Because if they cash out, that gives money to them instead of you. So he says, you just convince them to stay in the game again. And what that does is move the money from their bank account into your bank account. And the movie is just this skewed perspective of, of how this guy lives and, and what it looks like when the basic good needs and drivers that God gives us go just off the rails. Now, there's another movie that I, I was thinking about this week. Um, and it came out, um, I don't know, about 10 to 15 years ago. It's called Changing Lanes. It starred Ben Affleck, and, ben Affleck and Samuel Jackson. Everybody heard of this movie? So let me, let me ask you a question. Anybody ever seen like road rage actually happen? Like I had never seen uh, an actual incident like really occur until just after I moved to Tallahassee. Man, I'll never forget it was on. <laughs> Why is that funny, man? Like I, you know. It's kind of amazing to me that like I've lived all the places I've lived, but it wasn't till Thomasville Road and Killarney. <laughs> and I don't know what was happening down Thomasville Road. But man, I pulled up at Thomasville Road at Killarney and, and, and all of a sudden these two car doors open and these two guys get out, get out. And they're just going, at, going after each other. You know, of something that happened for sure on the road. And I felt so uncomfortable. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, and, and I'm sure in that moment, that response that was going on in those guys' lives, it felt completely appropriate. But watching it, I was like, this is so wrong. Like, what has driven you to this, right? But the, the movie Changing Lanes is all based on this premise of, of good people who experience a stimulus and then start responding, like in particular ways. And I'm just gonna show you the trailer, can you kind of get the gist of it, and I'll unpack it a little bit more. So go ahead and roll that. Take this file, take it over to the courthouse. An ambitious attorney. File the papers and get out. A desperate father. I found a house for Valerie and for the boys, if she'll have me back. Show me the house. You're approved. I thought you were gonna say no. They had no reason to meet. Today. You all right? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. You got an insurance card? It's only going to take five minutes. Sorry. I got to go. I'm trying to get a lift. I got to go, man. I'm late. Oh, man, don't leave me out here like this, Sorry. man. Better luck next time. Hey, you're leaving the scene of an accident. Here to present some papers to the court. What do you got? I made a mistake. Bring me back that file by the end of the day. Hey, guys. Daddy. I'm really late. Mom went in already. This guy hit me on the FDR. He cut me off. You know, if this was my marriage and it was this important to me, I would have been here on time. Next case. It's from the file. He's got the file. How'd it go? I'm really sorry. You're sorry? You wanna go to jail? What? You didn't know who these people were? What do I do? You need that file. I will give you $10,000. You think I want money? What I want is my time back. It's gonna be bad. 
He's this guy. He helps out with things that need helping out. You get your file back. Mr. Doyle Gibson he is now bankrupt. This is a mistake. I need this loan. I need it for my life. It says you're bankrupt. Academy Award nominee Samuel L. Jackson. You have the power to turn this on, you have the power to turn it off. It'll take me half an hour to get to my bank. Now, if my credit's not on by the time I get there, I destroy the fire. Academy Award winner Ben Affleck. I need to turn back on right away. That's a little harder. Please, man, don't tell me that. Everything decent is held together by a covenant. And you and that, what's his name? You broke the contract. Changing lanes. So, cu- a couple of things. I-, I was watching this this morning, and I don't know if like the na- and the nature of trailers has changed since this movie came out. I don't know about you guys, but that voiceover, it's so hard for me to take that voiceover seriously. It's like <laughs> I'm just waiting for the joke to come now, um, but it, it doesn't. Now, now, Roger Ebert, who's you know great movie critic, he said it was one of the best movies of the year when it came out. And he said primarily it was because the writers don't jump to kind of the nuclear option with any of the characters. And what they do is they show that each of these guys are good people. They're not perfect people, but they're good people. But as the stimulus comes into their life, they start making decisions, and one decision leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, and it's escalation, 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 escalation. So this is not about, you know, like if, if something just happens in your life and you instantly go to Tom Petty, you know, breaking your arm. It, this is about who we are as human beings, dealing with things that come at us and understanding that the way we respond can A, say something about where we're at and B, can progress if we don't reflect and think about how we are actually responding to the things in the world. Does that make sense? And we also would say, okay, look, you know, um, I've never been in a recording studio and I haven't really ever encountered road rage, but there's all kinds of stimulus in our life that we deal with. So maybe you've never been cut off in traffic. Um, what do you do when you see somebody in need? You know, asking for a couple dollars or whatever. That's a stimulus. How do you respond? You know, is there, an, is there a compassion in your heart? Or if you were honest with me, you would say, man, I, I can be a little cynical in those situations. And we're all kind of, we all struggle with most of this stuff. These, these are hard things, but they say something about where we're at in our life. Uh, what do you do if you found out that someone's talked bad about you? You know, do you escalate? Do you breathe and go, go talk, you know? Uh, talking about like this whole need for, for status and to, and to feel like we are at the top of the heap. What do you do if you've ever been injured and you just have to be vulnerable and you can't perform the way you, you did? Now, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Do you hide? Do you fake it? How do you respond to that type of stimulus? Anybody ever been fired from a job? I have. You talk about a blow to your status. Even when it was a job I didn't even like. But on the flip side of it, it was humbling to me to be, yeah, I got, I got fired. How do you deal with that? How do you respond to that? 
And, and if you don't like understand where your response is coming from, there is a possibility that these things can escalate and really soon you're doing really things. You're just like, wow, I don't know where that came from. It's not who I want to be. So what I'm getting at is that John, the writer of this letter that we've been living in for 11 weeks now, says something so profound and so important to living life as faithful people um, that I just had to sit with it this week. So I wanna take us back to the first couple verses of the passage today, 1 John chapter 5, uh, verse 4, John says, listen, everyone who is born from God defeats the world. Now, if you guys remember, uh, when, when John says the world, the world means two things. The world means the created world. God made it. God loves the created world. But the world in John also means the way the world works, which God ain't always so crazy about. Because the way the world works looks a lot like the people with the most money win, the people with the highest status win, the people who are the prettiest and the most, they always win. And God likes the losers because he likes me and I'm a loser. So John says, listen, Everyone who has, born, has been born from God, everyone who's following God, they've overcome the way the world works. They've defeated it. And this is the victory that has defeated the world, our faith. And then he lists, asks this rhetorical question. Who defeats the world? Isn't it the one who believes that Jesus is God's son? So uh, John throws this thing out and you have to remember what's going on in this community. There are people who are differing about who Jesus is. This is a community, a church that John's writing to. And there's some people who have said, listen, uh, Jesus is sort of one way and they've started to think uh, badly about other people in the church and they're talking badly and they're like, you don't understand who Jesus is. You're not following him. There's dissension and hatred brewing in this church. And John's saying, listen, the people who are born from God, uh, Jesus defeated the world and who's following him, those are the folks that are gonna overcome the world. Now, the next question is, well, how do you tell? Because both these groups are saying, well, we're following Jesus. Well, I want to uh, remind you of something that we say around here an awful lot. John also wrote the Gospel of John, the good news story of Jesus, the fourth gospel. We have four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 10, 10, Jesus says this to his disciples. Sounds a lot like this. He says, listen, uh, I the thief, meaning the adversary, came to kill and destroy. But Jesus says, listen, I've come so that they can have life. Indeed, so that they can have life to the fullest. For our purposes today, I would say Jesus is saying, I've come so you can have life, an overcoming life, a victorious life. Does those, do those two things sound the same to anybody? That's what it reminded me of. He's like, Jesus overcame the world. Anybody who follows Jesus overcomes the world. Jesus says, listen, I'm, I've come so you can have life, overcoming life. So, um, when we get into this, I'm just going to lay out a few statements. So the first statement is this. We need to wrap our minds around the fact that the invitation we have for us is to live an overcoming, victorious life. An overcoming, victorious life. That sounds nice to me. I want to overcome the world. I want to overcome the way the world works. Right? But again, remember, John's trying to figure out who do you know who is really following Jesus in this community? And this is where it gets so poignant 
for us today. How do you overcome the world? What does it look like? Well, John helps us out. And I want to tell you, uh, he he helps us out in verse 6. These are cryptic verses. He says, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. All right? So let me tell you, like, scholars, they, they struggle with these verses. And a lot of people say, like, we don't really know what John was talking about because it's really, it's really hard to penetrate. But I, I did some studying this week. I want to give you my opinion. I think what John is talking about is he's trying to say, this is the vision of Jesus that you should follow. And the people who follow this particular vision of Jesus, they're the ones who are square, like right on. You see, uh, he says, Jesus came by what? Water and blood. See, I think that he's talking about the bookends of Jesus's ministry. If you know the story of Jesus, his ministry starts with him being baptized in the water. Jesus' ministry ends in blood, nailed to a cross, hanging there, bleeding. And I think what John is saying here, listen, the people who are really understanding who Jesus is, they get the water part, but they get the blood part. And for us, the blood part is really important because this particular group of people that were splitting off from the church, you know one of the things that they believed? They believe that Jesus didn't really suffer on the cross. We know this because we have some of their writings. So they would say, listen, uh, the the guy that died on the cross wasn't really Jesus. God somehow like zapped Jesus away because God would never like let his own son die. And John's saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is the one that came by water and blood. It's the baptism, but it's the suffering. And that's where he starts to unpack what does it mean to overcome the world? And if Jesus overcame the world, well, how did Jesus do it? Jesus overcame the world through suffering. So um, the second statement that I would sort of offer to you guys is in addition to the idea that we're invited to live an overcoming victorious life, but there's a particular pattern to that overcoming. And it looks like the cross. You see, uh, you may have heard even people, uh, you know, on TV, uh, preachers on TV, and they'll be like, man, guess what? God wants you to be rich. If you pray hard enough and believe hard enough, look, you'll, you'll get that, that physical security thing met. Anybody ever heard a preacher like this? Can I suggest to you that that's not overcoming the world at all? That's just playing the world's game. And John says here, no, 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 no. Jesus overcame the world by water and blood. I just call it like, like, like Jesus didn't say, listen, the way to succeed at the game of life is to be at the top of the heap with the most money, with the highest status and loved by everybody. He didn't. He changed the game by the cross. Now, remember, all of these human needs are good things. They motivate us. Listen, I look at my retirement account. I'm just like you guys. I have one. It's not big enough. 
But when these needs get way out of whack and they become the end of themselves, in and of themselves, that's when the cross has to loom up and say, wait a minute, there's a different story being told. And the dissenters denied the suffering and John saying, no, 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 no. You don't get it. Suffering is the way you win. All right, so let me, let me push on you a little bit more because I know there's some faithful people here. There's people who grew up in church. I grew up in church. So it's the cross. It's the cross, right? Well, let me show you what a lot of us uh, use the cross for, okay? This is the way the cross plays itself out in my life and I want to believe probably in some of yours' life. So uh, the way the cross will work with me is like, I'm trying to fill these human needs. I want some security. I want some affection. I want some status. And you know what I tend to do? I tend to make some mistakes when I do. I kind of, you know, maybe treat somebody badly, maybe do something that's out of line with what my heart says. And then I'm like, oh man, you know what I need? I need forgiveness. Where do I get forgiveness? I get forgiveness at the cross. Where's the cross? Where's the cross? Where's the cross? I gotta find the cross. Wait a minute. I know where I, I'll find the cross at church. I'll go to church. Oh, hey, there's the cross. I can get forgiveness at the cross. Okay, I got the cross. Now I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna play the game of life again. So I got my forgiveness and now I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna play the game some more and I'm gonna fight some more and I'm gonna treat some people badly some more and I'm gonna game the game. And then, oh, I made some more decisions, bad decisions. I need more forgiveness. Where do I get, where do I get forgiveness? I gotta go back to the cross. I'll go to E3. They talk about this a lot. Oh, there's the cross again. I got my forgiveness. There's forgiveness at the cross for every single thing that you've done. God knows every single thing that you've done and there's no end to his forgiveness. However, that model of living is entirely alien to the writers of the New Testament. It's entirely alien. Jesus says, pick up your cross and carry it. Paul says, embrace the cross. Peter says, listen, take the cross as a lifestyle. So what I'm saying to you guys as well is like, look, we need to take the cross out from like behind the curtain in the church. And what we need to do is to like take it into our lives and like not run over there when we need forgiveness, but like what would it look like to just change the game entirely and say, I'll just bring this into the game. And when the stimuli come in, they got to come through the cross first. And when my response goes out, it's got to go through the cross first. And what's the cross look like? Oh, the cross looks like suffering. The cross looks like, well, let's just unpack it. What did we say? The great needs of humanity, affection, security, status. Let's think about what Jesus encountered at the cross. Affection. His closest friends rejected him, turned their backs on him, walked away from him. He's insulted. He's spit upon. So in the area of affection, can I suggest to you that Jesus goes from here to here? Looks like a loss from the world's perspective. Security. It's the ultimate loss of security. You're nailed outstretched arms. You can barely raise yourself up to breathe. You are exposed. He, he probably was naked. Looks like Jesus went from here to here in the world's perspective. Reputation and status. He was a rabbi, a healer, and ends up a criminal 
crucified on a cross. Jesus changes the game. He's like, you don't, you don't win the game by getting to the top. You, you can actually win the game by getting to the bottom because the game's not all that important. And then I would throw in there, Jesus decides to surrender control of the situation. To surrender control of the situation. Now, let me push this a little bit further. And I want, to, I want to confess that like there was something in this passage that I had missed until this week, right? And, and it has to do with Jesus on the cross, what's going on on the cross. I want to take you back to verse four. So check it out again. Everyone who is born from God defeats the world. And this is the victory that has defeated the world. What is it? Our faith. You see, like when, when I used to read that, I, I think either I, I just didn't take it seriously enough or I substituted some other image. It would make sense to the world to say, you know what overcame the world? A bigger world. You know what overcomes uh, uh, the, the, the desire for status? Like the biggest status. That's what overcomes the world. Jesus, who is like the bigger, the badder, uh, this is the biggest, the most powerful. But John doesn't say that. What does he say overcomes the world? Our faith, you know what faith is not? Faith is not certainty. Faith, anybody ever seen uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Faith is that, you know, that moment, right? When he's stepping into the chasm. Faith feels like that. Faith feels like walking in the fog a little bit. And you're like, oh, this, I don't know about this. All I know is I have to take a step forward. And John says, that's the thing that overcomes the world. Because you know what that, that is? You know what this is? This is trust in something else. It's not knowing that that walkway's there. It's trusting that it will be there when your foot goes down. And Jesus goes to the cross, trusting his Father in heaven that it's not the end of the story. He goes to the cross, goes from here to there because he knows that on the other side of there, the game's changed entirely. And let me just sum it up to say like, once you trust God for all of this stuff, you know what? The security thing, it doesn't matter whether you're here. You can be here or you can be here or you can be here. It doesn't matter because you know what matters? Your father in heaven is looking out for you. And you just know it's going to be okay. It's just going to be okay. Let your, let your desire for it, let your affection be well-liked. Maybe you're not well-liked. Maybe you're in the middle, but it's okay. Because you trust God. That's what it looks like. So uh, to sum it up, to, to kind of put the third statement on this journey that we're on. Here's the way I would say it. We overcome the world by bringing a cross mentality to it by faith and by trust. You don't overcome the world by being the best. You overcome the world by trusting God. That there's something beyond the world. Now, as we close, uh, I want to offer you two thoughts because I want to talk about just how you do it. And, uh, and, and this is like, there's no magic bullet to this, but there's a very practical thing that I started doing years ago. Um, but before we do that, 
I want to talk a little bit to maybe some people in this room. Um, when we start talking about suffering and being willing to suffer in the world, here's what I don't want you to hear. I don't want you to hear that if you're in a position where legitimate injustice is being done to you, maybe you're in a position where there is a physical threat to your body, to, you, to your life. Christianity is not a message for you to be a punching bag. God knows justice, injustice, safety. And so as I lay this stuff out and I talk about being willing to suffer, like if, if you're in a position where like, man, I, I'm suffering because this is being done to me and it's legitimately, I, I want to get away, I can't get away. You need to hear like, get away. This is, Christianity is not a thing where we like say, oh, everybody just be a martyr in a punching bag and that's okay. No. Jesus went to the cross. Here's the way I would put it. Jesus went to the cross with clarity, peace, love. That's the way I would parse this out. If you're in a situation and you're like, you know what? I have clarity that I can release this thing. I don't need that promotion. And I have peace about it. And I have clarity about it then I would say, man, you're right on the right track. But if something is being done to you and like, this is wrong and I I can't get out of this thing, get some help, okay? So I just want to make that really crystal clear. So um, I have one of these taped in my car always. This is a little little card, you know? Sorry, like there's no like big aha moment. This, we're going to just going to, we're kind of coming back to where we started. This is a card that I keep in my car. Why? Because I drive on the same roads you guys do. (laughs) And my stimuli and response thing gets triggered when I drive on Capitol Circle most of the time. And so I just write this and tape it to my dash. And I'm like, you know what? Whatever's going on right now, God, I release my need for affection. And again, that's my particular brokenness. I release my need. I don't have to be liked by everybody, God. I release my desire for security. I release my my desire that like, you know, if I'm trying to get somewhere that will enhance, I'll get money out of it or I'll get status out of it. Oh, and I'm not getting there. God, I release it. Or maybe I just pull into this parking lot. You know, I release um, my desire for like a high status, God. I'm, I'm just one of the community here. And then over that, I just say, God, I release my desire to control the situation because, God, you control it. You control it. And that might seem like, man, did I come to E3 for that? But let me tell you, you actually do this and it will challenge you because you'll start to wake up like, oh, actually, no, I really have a trouble surrendering my desire for security. That's my response. I'm going to name it. That's the way life is lived, just one day at a time, a little better, being honest with ourselves and with other people. And John says it here. Listen, you don't solve this thing by winning the game. You change the game because the cross changes the game forever. Amen. Amen.